Chapter Three of Physiology of the Opera by Screechy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Three. And for the bass, the beast can only bellow, an ignorant, noteless, timeless, tuneless fellow. Byron. The primo basso is to the primo tenora what the draught horse is to the racer drawing along the heavy business of an opera whilst the other goes capering and curvetting through whole pages of chromatics and runs bounding with unerring precision over the most fearful musical intervals the basso consequently to uphold the vast superstructure of song must be a man furnished with a strong supporting and sustaining voice he usually plays the part of tyrants either of the domestic circle or of the throne and the tyrants of fiction always have been represented as overgrown individuals, from the time of the Titans down to the giants who meet with their well-merited fate from the invincible arm of that doughty nursery hero, Jack the Giant-Killer. It is a most fortunate circumstance, then, for the basso, that while his powerful voice must necessarily proceed from gigantic lungs, and those organs again are chiefly found planted in largely developed frames, his huge proportions only the better qualify him for his department of operatic personae. His form is heavy and would be muscular if ease and indolence, unrestrained appetite, and no more exertion than is requisite to blow the bass bellows during half a dozen evenings in the week did not permit an undue accumulation of adipose substance. His hair is generally black, but not of that rich, glossy, curling kind which decks the fair brow of the delicate little tenor. His features are gross and sensual, exhibiting about the amount of intelligence which may be looked for in one of those bedecked and garlanded animals, whose appearance among us announces the future sale of show-beef. His dress is an exhibition of slovenly grandeur. Each article of clothing is in itself very handsome, perhaps very gaudy, but the manner in which it is dragged on the figure makes the two ensemble coarse and common, slovenly and disagreeable. His animal propensities hold the intellectual faculties in bondage, and every approach to sentiment is excluded by the clogged-up avenues to thought. His manner of living is sans lit en action. His life is an existence, tossed and troubled by the vicissitudes of sleeping and feeding, with occasional interruptions of mechanical vocalization. He possesses an organ, which it is supposed cannot be impaired by indulgence in the pleasures of the table, and he always acts as if he wished to put this supposition to the test. When he orders his breakfast, therefore, he does not look down the cart, in order to see what viands he must avoid, but only to ascertain how many dishes are likely to be objects agreeable to his palate. Substantials form all his meals. No mild café au lait composes the meal which is to announce that he has commenced his daily labours of masticulation, after a morning's deglutition worthy of the anaconda, he suffers digestion to prepare him for a walk, while he indulges in piles of cigars. As this smoking effort is a long one, he is about ready to join his elegant friend, the tenor, when the latter calls on him to go out and astound the town. What a majestic stride the heavy, beefy fellow puts on as he saunters down the street! His body seems to say, for his face is void of expression, how his body seems to say, "'Gentlemen, you're all very well, but it won't do. I outweigh a dozen of you, 
and the ladies have to surrender to such a superior weight of metal. The basso seldom loves the prima donna. He regards her as a very troublesome lady, who devils him at rehearsals because he won't sing in time, on the stage because she wants to show her importance, and in the salon because she requires so much attention. The only wonder is how he and the delicate, sensitive tenor, persons presenting such a decided contrast to each other, should live together on terms of such apparent friendship. The reason, however, is that the association is not one arising from choice, but from necessity. Between the tenor and the baritone, there is something too much of similarity in voice and physique to render them just the most inseparable friends in the world. But in the vast musical gulf between the tenor and the basso, all professional rivalry is buried. End of chapter 3